welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, Awaken. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, each year during Advent, we invite our artists to participate in our gatherings. And so uh, Jeremiah is going to read a poem or, well, I'll let him explain it, but a little bit, a little piece on hope. So welcome, Jeremiah. Today, we invite you to consider the arrival of hope. The Advent narrative is full of visitations, angelic visitations. Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and I've always wondered... What's that like? So I offer you a visitation primer. First, the air will shimmer. Then you'll feel pressure and hear a ringing. Tones above and below. The deepest will take hold of your chest. There'll be a slight tug at the corner of your eyes, a pricking at the bridge of your nose, and a leaden lump in your throat. The light will coalesce and disperse into constellations almost recognizable. Breathe deeply. At least try. Remove your shoes, splay your toes, reach one hand in front of you and the other place on your heart to close the circuit. Above all, listen. As if to decipher a new language, you will be afraid. That's okay. For it's likely everything will change and much will be required. And finally, when the lights wink out and the room grows cold and you've never felt more alone, hold on to that ache, the one in your bones. It might be hope. All right, all right, all right. If you can find your seats, thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, good morning, everybody. My name's Micah, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken, and really glad that you're with us. Um, if you're new or newer to Awaken, we'd love to know that you're with us. So in the seat pockets in front of you there or online on our website, you can fill out the I'm new card, our contact card. Let us know you're with us. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice, and um, you can get to know us. We can get to know you. There are lots of things happening in the Advent season, so I want to make note of a couple of them, the first of which is tonight at 5 o'clock. We're going to welcome Advent in the Advent season together, so we've got Swedish meatballs, mashed potatoes, lingonberry sauce. You don't even have to go to Ikea, my friends. It's all coming to you right here. So come on back if you're able. Uh, we'll do that. We'll sing some carols together and welcome the Advent season uh, as a church. There is also an Artist Mingle Christmas party happening this week on the 7th of December at, uh, I think that's at the Smith's house, 7 p.m. So details are in the Awaken Weekly and online. Um, there is an Advent in, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Awake in Waiting is a... Uh, 
an evening hosted by the Artists of Awaken. That's the 14th of December. So for an hour or so, if you find yourself uh, hurried and running about in Advent, this is a, a, a night to intentionally slow down. And there'll be some songs, some singing, and some readings. So I want to invite you to that. And then last but not least, uh, Danny, a couple weeks ago at our quarterly business update, let you all know about some missional grants that we're making available to you as a congregation. So $20,000 uh, of the 85 we had set aside uh, while we waited to see what would happen with our denominational situation is now being made available to you all. And instead of us making a decision about where these funds might go, we want to hear from you. So if you know of a nonprofit that you feel like is in the spirit of Awaken and cares about the things that we care about, uh, there are four grants that are going to be made available of $5,000 each um, based on your recommendations. So um, a couple of our missional partners in the back on the, on the wall back there actually came from the last time we did this together. Um, so we were introduced to Ain't Die Young, which we had never heard about before, and now they're a partner of ours, and 1% of tithes and offerings go to Ain't Die Young. Um, so really excited about what the Spirit may do in our church uh, through that. So um, details are online, and that ends on December 10th. So not to say hurry, but please hurry. Last but not least, a couple of weeks ago, we finished a series called The Formational Targets of Awaken, six areas that we want to focus on in our spiritual lives. We made some nice little cards printed with the, uh, the icons and the definitions of those. So if you're wondering, like, oh, what was that thing we talked about? Formational targets, they're in the back. You can get them for free. How about that? Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so this is the beginning of Advent. Um, it's the beginning of the church calendar. I don't know if you know that or not, but I didn't grow up in a church that, where we did liturgy or paid any attention to the church calendar at all. Um, but this is the start of the church calendar every year, the first Sunday of Advent, which means last Sunday was the last Sunday in the church calendar, and that's called the Feast of Christ the King, Christ the King Sunday. Evidently, Pope Pius VI, 1925, Mussolini was on, on the scene, and uh, the, the church thought it was important to say, like, we don't worship, or there, our allegiance is not to an earthly empire or kingdom or Caesar but rather to Christ, the King, and so instituted this feast of Christ the King Sunday. So that ends the church calendar, and this begins it. So the four Sundays of, uh, of, of before Christmas is the season of Advent. And in this season, if you've never been around it or didn't celebrate it, this is really an intentional time of waiting and hoping, longing, anticipating the visit from the divine, right, in the Christ, and that the light of the world, the light of God, might find us where we are. Whatever darkness we may find ourselves in, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are now less than one year away from a presidential election in the United States of America. We definitely need some light around here, amen? I, don't, I anticipate a real circus. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining, you know, like pop some popcorn, this could get good. Um, but, you know, whether it's political or social or economic or relational, sometimes the world feels a little dark. And Advent is a season where we hang on to that thing that we feel in our bones, hope. That, in fact, it might not be that way. That something else may be at play, may be happening. Um, and great passages from Scripture in the season of Advent, right? Isaiah 9, one of my favorites. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Such a good one. So we will continue in our series uh, called The Journeys of Christmas. And we've been kind of following and around and near the stories and the people and the journeys that people have taken and, and, and will take 
uh, around the Christmas story. So we started with Zechariah. He's the father of John the Baptist. He's visited by an angel. His mouth is closed, and he waits for nine months in silence for the birth of his son. Mary, uh, excuse me, Joseph, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, is visited and also is told that his, his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. So what would it have been like for him to reconcile this, this life that he thought he would have and this life that he now will have? And he lays down his power, that which was in his rights, to rather serve and, and, and walk with Mary, which is quite beautiful. Uh, last week, we looked at Mary herself, right? The author of the Magnificat, this revolutionary text of Luke chapter 2. And a woman who prays, be it unto me just as you say, right? Here I am, this, this sort of all-encompassing offering of self to whatever it is in front of you. This week, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph, so their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, this is Luke chapter 2. I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit. Larissa will read our text for us this morning, Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Pray with me. God, this morning we gather in this place, and we do so with varying degrees of faith and questions and wonderings about this story and these stories in our lives and the world that we live in. Um, I hope and pray that like you seem to always do, that you would find us in the midst of this moment and remind us of who you are, who we are, and what you've invited us to do and be in the world as, um, as the people of God. So I pray this in the strong name of Christ and by the power of God's Spirit. And the church said together, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, I want to do two things this morning. The first of which is, uh, kind of a deep dive into the text. Uh, we read Luke 2, 1 to 7, and I want to really get into the text and the context and the details of what Luke is doing in this passage, and really what I think Luke is inviting us to consider, inviting us to wrestle with as the people who read it. So we're going to go deep in it for a moment, and then we're going to come back up for air, and then we're going to kind of hover above the text. There's this ancient way of reading the Bible called Midrash. It's an ancient Jewish way, and it's about the questions it's about the spaces between the words and the wonderings of the reader, right? It's about that which is between the, uh, we're going to read between the lines as it were. And, uh, and ask a question, sit with the question or a wondering about what it would have been like for Mary and for Joseph in that moment. So we're going to dive deep and then we're going to come back up and kind of hover above, right? That's where we're headed this morning. If you like roadmaps, there you go. Uh, let's dive in here. The, and I'll, and I'll, we'll start with uh, the form of a question, you know, Jeopardy style. Um, who's in charge anyway, is how I would phrase it. Who is in charge anyway? Luke, in Luke 2, opens with a host of details about a number of things. And um, it seems a, a bit random, but I don't think it is. Uh, the first of which is Caesar Augustus, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus, we'll come back to him. 
Then he goes to a census of the entire Roman Empire, the entire Roman world. Now, if you don't know anything about ancient empires, this would have been about taxes. Evidently, Rome is not a nonprofit. Uh, it takes a lot of cash, it takes a lot of capital to run the world, to conquer the world and then run the world, and to make good on the promise that you've made to the world that you're running, which is the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which is this idea that if, if Rome is in charge and you submit to Rome, you bow a knee to Rome, you worship the Caesar, in this case, a little bit more on that later, then we will provide to you protection and food and culture and water and roads and all the things. It's sort of tit for tat, quid pro quo. You do this, we'll do that. But that takes money. And so a census was taken of the world because you need to know how much you can extract from the people that you're governing. You need to know who the people are that you're governing. So a census was taken of the entire Roman Empire. You got Caesar Augustus, you got a census of the whole world, and then you have Quirinius, the most mispronounced man in the Bible. Yeah. Right. I always love that one on Christmas Eve where you're like, I wonder how they're going to say it, you know. Quirinus, Quirinius. My best attempt is Quirinius. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But he's the governor of Syria, at which point you're like, well, what does that have to do with Jerusalem? Nothing, except it does. Syria... <laughs> Syria, if you know your maps of the Middle East, is up and to the right of, of Israel. Uh, I once stood on the Golan Heights looking down into Syria, which is the mountain range between Israel and Syria. So uh, Quirinius, he's been given the task to govern Syria, but evidently in 6 AD, Herod was banished from his seat of power, a puppet uh, governor of, of Jerusalem and Judea, the, 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 the area, and so they just added that on. You know, it's kind of like when your coworker down the way gets fired, and they're like, you know what, you can take his stuff too. You can do her things also. Quirinius gets both Syria and Judea, so he's in charge of this census. So you have Augustus, you have the Roman census, you have Quirinius, the governor of Syria, who's also in charge of Judea, and then you have Joseph, who was from Nazareth, who went, of, of Galilee in the north, who went to Judea, the town or the, the region around, specifically to Bethlehem, the city the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. This is a lot of information, and it's not even about Mary and the baby. Like, that's the point of this story, right? Why is Luke telling us all this extraneous stuff? I would submit to you because Luke wants you to engage the question that I think Luke is engaging, which is, who's in charge here anyways? And in order to understand that, you have to understand Caesar Augustus, where he begins. So who is he? Augustus, the Caesar. Uh, he was the first Roman emperor to rule the non-Roman republic, right? If you know your Roman history, Rome was a republic with the Senate and the whole deal. Just watch Gladiator. You'll get it. Augustus is the first em emperor of the empire, not a republic anymore. Uh, his father was Julius Caesar, right? We have the salad for to thank, you know, thank him for. We have the pizza place to thank him for. He did a lot of things in the world, all right? <laughs> Julius Caesar was the adoptive father of Augustus. Also, his real name is Octavian. He's come to be known as Caesar Augustus. But Julius Caesar is the adoptive father of Augustus. And before Julius Caesar died, um, a new idea kind of came about, which was to give the emperors, uh, the Caesars, divine status. 
They didn't do this before Julius Caesar. He was the first to be sort of worshipped as a god. So before he died, the Senate voted and, and promised to give him like a giant statue, uh, a, a place of worship, and like a, you know, a cultic structure. And I don't mean cult where sacrificing animals. I mean like a, a religious system, okay? None of these happened before he died. He was assassinated in 44. But his son, Augustus, decided to like ring this bell and run this up the tree. And so he sort of drummed up this story, and, uh, which was promoted the idea that Julius, his father, ascended to the gods and now lived among the gods and was a god. So Julius Caesar, the adopted father of Augustus Caesar, was known as God, which makes Augustus what? Ding, 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 we have a winner. The son of God. So in Rome, around the time of Jesus, if you were to do some archaeological digging, you would find coins and inscriptions, and they would say things like the following. Salvation is to be found in none other save Augustus. There is no other name given to men in which they can be saved. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That's Peter's response in Acts 4. He says the exact same thing, but he says it about Jesus, not the Caesar. It's very, very niggling, you know, it's getting underneath there. Caesar is Lord, which is to say Caesar is the king. Caesar is in charge. Caesar is uh, the highest. In 6 BC, there was an inscription they found that said, August has been sent to us a savior. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of the UN Gelion, the gospel, the good news. That's Mark 1.1. That's how he begins his, his gospel. Did you ever notice that? See, this is what the gospel writers are doing is very like, like right underneath the noses of the empire. They're saying Caesar is not Lord. Someone else is Lord. And this is what Luke is doing in Luke chapter 2. So in the first three verses, Luke has made abundantly clear who rules the world. Like Beyonce, who runs the world? Girls run the world. <laughs> Caesar runs the world. Rome runs the world. Bow a knee to the empire, Right? Quirinius, the Israelites answer to Quirinius. Quirinius answers to the Caesar. Caesar is Lord. That's what Luke set up. But watch what he does next. Right under their noses, right? Luke grabs a thread and he begins to pull on it, and the sweater starts. Come on! That's Green Day. Weezer! Weezer, sorry. It's not in the notes. It's not in the notes. I always get like Weezer, Green Day, and there was another one that all kind of sounded the same in that era. But either way, Luke pulls the thread on the sweater, right? And he begins to tell the story of some, uh, like a, a longing and a hope that the people, the Jewish people, had been hanging on for generations that they had been talking about and wondering about. Imagine, close your eyes, if you will, and imagine like an old, old grandpa like smoking his pipe, sitting in front of the fire, or an old grandmother in her afghan. <laughs> and all the grandkids are gathered around her or him by the fireplace, and they're telling the stories about the days of old. Listen here, grandson. Micah the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And he will be our peace. Like God said to David, 
in the book of Samuel, the Lord declares to you that him, the Lord himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and establish a kingdom that will never end. Isaiah the prophet, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a savior is given. On the government will be on his shoulders, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Do you remember who Jesse is in the story? David's father. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. See, what Luke does with one phrase, Joseph from Nazareth in Galilee travels from into Judea to the town of Bethlehem because he's from the line in the house of who? David. He's just pulled a thread that goes all the way back from the beginning of the story that these people have been waiting for. questioning who's in charge here. When the angels announce to the shepherds a few verses later, and they say to the shepherds, today in the, the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What is it that they're saying other than who is in charge here? And so we see that Augustus, the emperor of the world, the highest position of power you could ever imagine is in fact not running the show, but is a puppet, is, a, is subordinate to the plan that God has been working out from the ages of old. So Advent, this story that we enter into at this time of year, invites us to ask this question of who is in charge here? Who do we put our trust in? Is it politicians and principalities and powers? Is it empires and economics? Is it military and men who wage war? Who's running this show? Whatever you walked in here today with, I don't know what kind of anxiety you have about the state of the world that it's in, about the elections that are upcoming, about the economy, any number of things. This is a story that seems to be making a very concerted effort to remind you that something else is happening. Right even when it looks and it appears, by all accounts, that these people run the show, it's actually offering the alternative that something else is going on here. The question for us is, do we believe that's true? God is always working about to bring this peace and this kingdom that Jesus embodies and invites us to join in on. The question is, do we believe it? One, fun, one more fun fact about who's in charge here anyways. Um, this picture is like the alleged route of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So Nazareth is up in the north. They would have come down, taken a left for them, right for us, down the Jordan River Valley, which was a perilous journey at that time. And again, I mentioned last week, I've never been pregnant before, in case you didn't know. And so uh, I don't know what it's like to be nine months pregnant, but I'm guessing Mary didn't walk. Can I get an amen on that one, ladies in the room? Okay, <laughs> probably. So she's probably riding some sort of transport, likely a donkey, because that was very common in their day for a poor peasant like Joseph and Mary. So Mary rides a donkey down the Jordan River Valley, and when you get to Jericho, all the walls come tumbling down. But before they do, you hang a right, and you go up the hills into Jerusalem, Mary, with Jesus in utero, rides a donkey into Jerusalem from the east. 
Is it possible that Jesus' life begins and ends with him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey from the east asking who's in charge here anyways? Isn't that a fun one? I found that this week. (laughs) People say the Bible's boring. I just totally disagree. What a story, right? Man. So who is in charge here? This is a question we face every day. Whose allegiance, who, who, who do we give our allegiance to? What do we pledge ourselves to? What do we bow a knee to, figuratively and metaphorically and literally? Advent is like the epicenter asking this question. Who runs this world? And Luke's contention in that it is not the powers and the principalities that run the headlines. It's the sacrificial love and vulnerability of the divine being that comes to us in this baby. So that's in the, that's in the nitty-gritty of the text. Let's zoom out a little bit. And let's, let's wonder about this idea that I think Joseph may have experienced and, and, and Mary watched when home isn't home anymore. So Mary and Joseph, they get the letter from Quirinius. The email comes like, hey, you got to go back to your, your hometown, which is 80 miles away. So they travel from Nazareth back to Bethlehem. Why? Because it's his hometown. He grew up there. It's like a town. He goes to, he knows where all the towny bars are, you know. He, like, he, all the people are still there talking at the high school reunion about, you know, like, oh, yeah, you remember Joseph when you did that one thing in high school? That was awesome. And Joseph is like, I got out of this town. I, you, know, you, you guys ever been to that high school reunion? I went to that once. I didn't go back. <laughs> so he goes back to his hometown. Why? Because that's his hometown. He knows people there. His family's still there. He's got relatives there. So if he goes back to his hometown, where is he going to stay? With family. Maybe even in the house he grew up in. So they make their way back to Bethlehem. And there's no room in the inn which wasn't an inn. It would have been like someone they knew. And there's probably a, a, a very good reason for this, right? Like the town has swelled with all the other people who got Quirinius's email to come back to their hometown. And so there's no room for them to stay there. And so why does Jesus get born outside of jo- Joseph's home? Why is Jesus born in a manger? Why is he put there outside of the home that Joseph would have grown up in and would have known people in? Why is that? Well, yeah, okay, the town's full, But, like, have you ever been to a place you used to call home and it didn't feel like home anymore? Have you ever had that experience where something that meant a great deal to you, you would have called it home? You sensed and experienced being welcomed there and home there. And then you show up one day and you're on the outside of in somehow. You've changed, they've changed you found something that you didn't see before and, and now you're... Do you, am I barking up the right tree here? I remember coming home from college for the first time, 18 years old. Went away. And of course you think that everybody else's life just pauses while you're away. And then when you come back, it hits play, right? And I remember thinking like, oh, you guys just, you just went on without me. And they're like, well, you went on without us. It works both ways, bro. <laughs> But I remember that feeling very distinctly. And the more I came home, the less it felt like home, right? Or, and that's just growing up. That's just college. I remember another situation where I left a, 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 a conversation that I had. It was at the Liffey. 
which is no longer there, by the old Civic Center, which is also no longer there. Jeez Louise, <laughs> my life is being erased right in front of me. <laughs> but I'm in a, it was 2013 when, when the marriage amendment was on Minnesota's ballot. You remember that? So lots of debate about that moment. And I had begun a journey in 2011 when somebody on our launch team came out to me for the first time in my life, somebody that I actually knew was gay, who I loved, who babysat my kids, that I knew followed Jesus. And I was like, well, huh, I don't think she's anything like all the things you're saying. So I began to study and read and like on my own. And slowly but surely, I began to question the things that I was told about how to read the Bible and around human sexuality. And so I'm like, I think, hey, these, I'm home. I'm with my people. So I start sharing the things that I'm learning. And you would think like a pack of wolves had been released on me. Religious wolves, you know what I mean? And they were ravenous. And I remember literally being in a corner of the booth like I could not get out. Just being attacked verbally. And I thought, oh, this is not Kansas anymore. And I got in my car and I, and I cried all the way home. Because a place that I had felt like was home for me and people that were my people were no longer my people in that sense. So I want to pause here this morning and I want to just, if, if I'm barking up the right tree at all, and I think I might be if I know this church, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, this is totally normal in the spiritual journey. Like you need not be afraid, you need not be alarmed. You can feel sad, feel all the feels, yes. But like, don't be surprised when this happens. If you keep going on a journey, it's easier to stay put, right? It doesn't take as much work. Things are cleaner, they're neater. Everybody knows who's who, who the bad guys are, who the good guys are. If you keep going and keep learning and exploring and digging into who God is and what, what it means to be human, there's a good chance that you might walk into a place that used to feel like home and it won't feel like home. So I just want to like set up that that might be coming if it hasn't already, and it's normal. It's part of the spiritual journey. Number two, you are surrounded by a church of people who literally just walked through it together. Where a place that we felt like was home to us is no longer home for us anymore. And so you're among good company. There are wise sages around you. To the wise sages in the room, we need you. <laughs> this is why community matters. This is why we don't do this alone. So when home isn't home anymore... I'm curious if I were to throw out an all-play question and you were to respond, have you ever felt yourself outside of a place that you used to call home and what was that experience like? What are some of the things that, are, that you experienced in that moment? Love to hear. When you, you, you went home and it wasn't home anymore. Discomfort. Discomfort. Loss of identity. A loss of identity. Loneliness. Lonely. Sadness. Absolutely, sadness. Grief. Grief. Totally disorienting. Yeah. Say it again. Frustration. Disconnection. World got turned upside down. Yeah. That experience is terrible, difficult, and even worse if you do it alone. Please don't. You don't have to.
you know, one of the classic preacher moves is like, well, Jesus felt this thing too, you know. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> In this case, it's not just cheesy, it's true. Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes on his vision quest, right? He goes out to the desert, he's tempted by the Satan about his identity, and he comes back knowing clearly who he is and what is his to do. And he stands up in the synagogue on Sunday morning, and he reads the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, set the captives free, right? And then this is fulfilled in your hearing. And the people say, hey, isn't that Joseph's kid? And then he holds up a mirror to the community, and he says, look at, look at what we've become. As opposed to what you've heard the prophet remind us of who God has intended us to be, and people don't like what they see. And look what it says in Luke 4. All the people, and by people, these are not just people. This is his hometown. These are the people he went to Torah school with. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, this crazy idea that he's got. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. Luke's way of saying, a little bit like Moses, he parted the sea and led the people to the promised land. Jesus went about the business of building the kingdom, leading the kingdom, reminding us who is in charge here anyways. So friends, what a story, man. Um, let me close with this. I think sometimes it's hard to believe that God is actually in charge of the world that we live in. Maybe you watch the headlines, you've seen the news lately, and it's just like, what in God's name is going on out there? When places that felt like home no longer are home to us, it's easy to be doubt. It's easy to doubt and to become cynical or even despair. And I want to close with this piece, this little reflection that my friend Judy wrote. Um, and I do it as a way of being honest about the state of the world that we live in and maybe that we find ourselves in and our own experience, but that leaves and, and invites us with this word that we're sitting with this morning of hope. So um, this was on Instagram, and this was the picture that was posted. She writes this. I found this wing yesterday, just a wing lying there in the snow, dismembered from its body. I wept for both the body and its wing, and for all that has been dismembered and all the bodies forever changed. I wept for all those cut off from their homes because they're being held hostage by Hamas or in Israeli prisons or because they are denied the right of return or languishing in detention centers or refugee camps that circle the earth. I wept for all those who have been permanently cut off from life in this world because bombs have been dropped on them or bullets have ripped through them, separated from those who love them until they meet again in the life after this one. I wept for all the bodies who have left with pieces missing, for the little boy who just wants to hold his own hand again, or the little girl who now only needs one ballet shoe. I wept for all those who have been cut off from their families because of religious bigotry, and for all those who have cut off parts of themselves for the same reason. I wept for all those who have had their humanity dismembered by relentless propaganda, their hearts cut out by hatred, their sense of equality cut off by racism, their hope for the world, the whole of the world dismembered because of their phobias and fears, 
I wept for all the parts of the world that have been ripped apart, divided by colonialism, imperialism, and militarism, a world torn asunder by gluttony and greed. And I wept for want of a way to care for or even locate the bird to whom the wing belonged. And for the grief of knowing that in all the world there isn't enough thread to mend all that's been torn apart. And then I prayed, Oh Lord, please don't leave us in pieces. Raise up menders and provide us with enough thread to mend the world. And so may it be of this community. May it be the work of Awaken that we somehow with humility stand up and say, here am I. May it be it it unto me just as you say. That we might be used as thread to mend the world in God's unbelievable story of love. Amen? Let me offer a word of prayer. God, this morning we come to you in this moment of quiet and stillness with maybe heavy hearts. Uh, It's hard to believe that you're in charge sometimes in the world that we live in. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's hard to take seriously these claims. And yet, there is this resonance in our soul and when that tuning fork gets struck something lights up in us hope that it might be true that this story about the divine being coming to us vulnerably as a baby showing sacrifice and love that it would be true and that somehow the power to redeem, restore, and remake this world would be found in that. And so, Jesus, find us today, wherever we are, and speak a word of hope to us, I pray. To the church gathered at Awaken, my hope and prayer is that this Advent is an intentional journey for you, one of hoping and longing and anticipating, waiting for, That thing that we believe is true, that in fact, sacrificial love and vulnerability is the way to life, and we see that in this person of Jesus. So go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.